0: section three of england scotland ireland and wales this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume ten england scotland ireland and wales edited by eva march tappan section three king james the first and his goldsmith between sixteen o three and sixteen twenty four by sir walter scott the goldsmith to the royal household and who if fame spoke true oftentimes acted as their banker for these professions were not as yet separated from each other was a person of too much importance to receive the slightest interruption from sentinel or porter and leaving his mule and two of his followers in the outer court he gently knocked at a postern gate of the building and was presently admitted while the most trusty of his attendants followed him closely with the piece of plate under his arm this man also he left behind him in an ante-room where three or four pages in the royal livery but untrussed, unbuttoned and dressed more carelessly than the place and nearness to a king's person seemed to admit were playing at dice and draughts or stretched upon benches and slumbering with half-shut eyes a corresponding gallery which opened from the ante-room was occupied by two gentlemen ushers of the chamber who gave each a smile of recognition as the wealthy goldsmith entered no word was spoken on either side but one of the ushers looked first to harriet and then to a little door half covered by the tapestry which seemed to say as plain as a look could lies your business that way the citizen nodded and the court attendant moving on tiptoe and with as much caution as if the floor had been paved with eggs advanced to the door opened it gently and spoke a few words in a low tone the broad scottish accent of king james was heard in reply admit him instanter maxwell have you say long at the court and not learn that gold and silver are ever welcome the usher signed to harriet to advance and the honest citizen was presently introduced into the cabinet of the sovereign the scene of confusion amid which he found the king seated was no bad picture of the state and quality of james's own mind there was much that was rich and costly in cabinet pictures and valuable ornaments but they were arranged in a slovenly manner covered with dust and lost half their value or at least their effect from the manner in which they were presented to the eye the table was loaded with huge folios amongst which lay light books of jest and ribaldry and amongst notes of unmercifully long orations and essays on kingcraft were mingled miserable roundels and ballads by the royal prentice as he styled himself in the art of poetry and schemes for the general pacification of europe with a list of the names of the king's hounds and remedies against canine madness the king's dress was of green velvet quilted so full as to be dagger-proof which gave him the appearance of clumsy and ungainly protuberance while its being buttoned awry communicated to his figure an air of distortion over his green doublet he wore a sad-colored nightgown out of the pocket of which peeped his hunting horn his high-crowned gray hat lay on the floor covered with dust and encircled by a carcanet of large bala rubies and he wore a blue velvet nightcap in the front of which was placed the plume of a heron which had been struck down by a favorite hawk in some critical moment of the flight in remembrance of which the king wore this highly honored feather but such inconsistencies in dress and appointments were mere outward types of those which existed in the royal character rendering it a subject of doubt amongst his contemporaries and bequeathing it as a problem to future historians he was deeply learned without possessing useful knowledge sagacious in many individual cases without having real wisdom fond of his power and desirous to maintain and augment it yet willing to resign the direction of that and of himself to the most unworthy favorites a big and bold asserter of his rights and words, yet one who tamely saw them trampled on in deeds a lover of negotiations in which he was always outwitted and one who feared war where conquest might have been easy he was fond of his dignity while he was perpetually degrading it by undue familiarity capable of much public labor yet often neglecting it for the meanest amusement a wit though a pedant and a scholar though fond of the conversation of the ignorant and uneducated even his timidity of temper was not uniform and there were moments of his life and those critical in which he showed the spirit of his ancestors he was laborious in trifles and a trifler where serious labour was required devout in his sentiments and yet too often profane in his language just and beneficent by nature he yet gave way to the iniquities and oppression of others he was penurious respecting money which he had to give from his own hand yet inconsiderately and unboundedly the profuse of that which he did not see in a word those good qualities which displayed themselves in particular cases and occasions were not of a nature sufficiently firm and comprehensive to regulate his general conduct and showing themselves as they occasionally did only entitled james to the character bestowed on him by sully that he was the wisest fool in christendom that the fortunes of this monarch might be as little of a piece as his character he certainly the least able of the stuarts succeeded peaceably to that kingdom against the power of which his predecessors had with so much difficulty defended his native throne and lastly although his reign appeared calculated to ensure to great britain that lasting tranquillity and internal peace which so much suited the king's disposition yet during that very reign were sown those seeds of dissension which like the teeth of the fabulous dragon had their harvest in a bloody and universal civil war such was the monarch who saluting harriet by the name of Jingling geordie for it was his well-known custom to give nicknames to all those with whom he was on terms of familiarity inquired what new clatter traps he had brought with him to cheat his lawful and native prince out of his siller. god forbid my liege said the citizen that i should have any such disloyal purpose i did but bring a piece of plate to show to your most gracious majesty which both for the subject and for the workmanship i were loth to put into the hands of any subject until i knew your majesty's pleasure It, body me man, let's see it harriet though by my soul, steeny service a plate was sa dear a bargain i had maist pon my word as a royal king to keep my ain gold and silver in future and let you geordie keep yours Respecting the Duke of Buckingham's plate," said the goldsmith. "Your Majesty was pleased to direct that no expense should be spared. And what signifies what I desired, Mon? When a wise Mon is with fools and barons, he Mon e'en play at the chucks. But you should have had mar sense and consideration than to gi'e Baby Charles and Steenie their own gate. They wad ha'e floored the very room with silver, and I wonder they didna." george harriet bowed and said no more he knew his master too well to vindicate himself otherwise than by a distant allusion to his order and james with whom economy was only a transient and momentary twinge of conscience became immediately afterwards desirous to see the piece of plate which the goldsmith proposed to exhibit and despatched maxwell to bring it to his presence in the meantime he demanded of the citizen whence he had procured it from italy may it please your majesty replied harriet it has nae thing in it tending to papistry said the king looking graver than his wont surely not please your majesty said harriet i were not wise to bring anything to your presence that had the mark of the beast you would be the mar beast yourself to do so said the king it is well ken that i wrestled with dagon in my youth and smote him on the ground sill of his own temple a good evidence that i should be in time called however unworthy the defender of the faith but here comes maxwell bending under his burden like the golden ass of apuleius harriet hastened to relieve the usher and to place the embossed silver for such it was and of extraordinary dimensions in a light favorable for his majesty's viewing the sculpture saul of my body mon said the king it is a curious piece and as i think fit for a king's chamber and the subject as you say master george vera adequate and beseeming being as i see the judgment of solomon a prince in whose paths it wheel becomes a leaving monarch's to walk with emulation but whose footsteps said maxwell only one of them if a subject may say so much hath ever overtaken haud your tongue for a false fleeching loon, said the king but with a smile on his face that showed the flattery had done its part look at the bonny piece of workmanship and haud your clavering tongue and whose handiwork may it be Jordy? it was wrought sir replied the goldsmith by the famous florentine benvenuto cellini and designed for francis i of france but i hope it will find a fitter master francis of france said the king send solomon king of the jews to francis of france body of me mon it would have kived cellini mad had he never done ony thing else out of the gate Francis, why he was a fighting fool, mon, a mere fighting fool. Got himself ta'en at Pavia like our ain David at Durham Langsyne. If they could hae send him Solomon's wit and love of peace and godliness, they wad hey doon him a better turn. But Solomon should sit in other gate company than Francis of France. I trust that such will be his good fortune," said Harriet it is a curious and ver artificial sculpture said the king in continuation but yet methinks the carnifex or executioner there is brandishing his gully o'er near the king's face seeing he is within reach of his weapon i think less wisdom than solomon's wad have taught him that there was danger in edge tools and that he wad have bidden the smake either sheathe his shabble or stand farther back george harriet endeavoured to alleviate the objection by assuring the king that the vicinity betwixt solomon and the executioners was nearer in appearance than in reality and that the perspective should be allowed for gang to the deal wi your perspective man said the king there cannot be a war perspective for a lawful king wa wishes to reign in louvre and die in peace and honor than to have naked swords flashing in his eene i'm accounted as brave as mazed folks and yet i profess to ye i could never look on a bare blade without blinking and winking but ah, uh, the gither it is a brave piece. and what is the price of it mon the goldsmith replied by observing that it was not his own property but that of a distressed countryman wilt you mean to mock your excuse for asking the double of its worth i warrant answered the king i ken the tricks of you town merchants mon i have no hopes of baffling your majesty's sagacity said harriet the piece is really what i say and the price a hundred and fifty pounds sterling if it pleases your majesty to make present payment a hundred and fifty pounds man, and as mony witches and warlocks to raise them said the irritated monarch my saul jingling Geordie, ye are minded that your purse shall jingle to a bonny tune how am i to tell you down a hundred and fifty pounds for what will not weigh as many murks, and ye can that my very household servitors and the officers of my mouth are sacks arrear the goldsmith stood his ground against all this objurgation being what he was well accustomed to and only answered that if his majesty liked the piece and desired to possess it the price could be easily settled it was true that the party required the money but he george harry would advance it on his majesty's account if such were his pleasure and wait his royal conveniency for payment for that and other matters the money meanwhile lying at the ordinary usage by my honour said james and that is speaking like an honest and reasonable tradesman we maun get another subsidy frae the commons and that will make a compting of it away wi it maxwell away wi it and let it be set where Steenie and babby charles shall see it as they return from richmond and now that we are secret my good and old friend geordie i do truly opine that speaking of solomon and ourselves the all wisdom in the country left Scotland when we took our travels to the southland here. George Harriet was courtier enough to say that the wise naturally follow the wisest as stags follow their leader. Troth, I think there is something in what thou sayest, said James, for we ourselves and those of our court and household, as thou thyself, for example, are allowed by the English for as self-opinioned as they are to pass for reasonable good wits but the brains of those we have left behind are all astir and run clean hurdy-gurdy like say mony warlocks and witches on the devil's sabbathian i am sorry to hear this my liege said harriet may it please your grace to say what our countrymen have done to deserve such a character they are become frantic mon clean brain crazed answered the king i cannot keep them out of the court by all the proclamations that the heralds roar themselves hoarse with yesterday nay farther gain just as we were mounted and about to ride forth in rushed a thorough edinburgh gutter blood a ragged rascal every dud upon whose back was bidding good day to the other with a coat and hat that would have served a peace and without havings or reverence thrusts into our hands like a sturdy beggar some supplication about debt sowing by our gracious mother and sick like trash whereat the horse bangs on end and but for our admirable sitting wherein we have been thought to excel based sovereign princes as well as subjects in europe i promise you we would have been laid end lang on the causeway your majesty said harriet is their common father and therefore they are the bolder to press into your gracious presence i can i am pater patriae well enough said james but one would think they had a mind to squeeze my puddings out that they may divide the inheritance Ood's death geordie there is not a loon among them can deliver a supplication as it soul be done in the face of majesty I would, I knew the most fitting and beseeming mode to do so," said Harriet. "Were it but to instruct our poor countrymen in better fashion," by my halidom," said the King. "Ye are a civilised fellow, Geordie, and I carena if I fling away as much time as may teach ye, and first see ye, sir. Ye shall approach the presence of Majesty, thus shadowing your eyes with your hand to testify that you are in the presence of the Vicegerent of Heaven." Very weal, George, that is done in a comely manner, then, sir, ye shall kneel and make as if ye would kiss the hem of our garment and latch of our shoe, or such like, vera weal enacted Wilk we as being willing to be debonair and pleasing towards our leisures, prevent thus, and motion to you to rise, Wilk, having a boon to ask as yet you obey not, but gliding your hand into your pouch, bring forth your supplication and place it reverentially in our open palm the goldsmith who had complied with great accuracy with all the prescribed points of the ceremonial here completed it to james's no small astonishment by placing in his hands the petition of the lord of glenvarloch what means this ye faust loon said he reddening and sputtering hey i been teaching you the manual exercise that ye sool present your peace at our ain royal body now by this light i had as lief that ye had bended a real pistolet against me and yet this hay ye done in my very cabinet where nought souled enter but at my ain pleasure i trust your majesty said harriet as he continued to kneel will forgive my exercising the lesson you condescended to give me in the behalf of a friend of a friend said the king so much the war, so much the war. i tell you if it had been something to do yourself good there would have been some sense in it And some chance that you would not have come back on me in a hurry, but a man may have a hundred friends and petitions for every ain of them ilk ain after other, your majesty. I trust said Harry will judge me by former experience and will not suspect me of such presumption. I kenna," said the placable monarch. The world goes daft, I think, said Samel and Sanawimus omnis footnote. But we are all crazy at some time thou art my old and faithful servant that is the truth and were it any thing for thy own behoof, man thou shouldst not ask twice but troth steenie loves me so dearly that he cares not that any one should ask favours of me but himself maxwell for the usher had re-entered after having carried off the plate get into the antechamber wi your lang lugs unconscious geordie i think as that thou hast been mine ain old Fiduciary and work my goldsmith when I might say with the ethnic poet non mea renadet in Domo Lacanar. Footnote, no gilded ceiling glitters in my house. Horace has known Eber Neque Arium Mea Renedet in Domo Lacanar. In footnote for faith, they had pillaged my mither's old house say that beechen and bickers and treen trenchers and latin platters were whiles the best at our board and glad we were of something to put on them without quarrelling with the metal of the dishes do ye mind for thou wert in mates of our complots how we were fain to send sacks of the blue banders to harry the lady of logan houses Dalcott and poultry yard and what an awful plaint the poor dame made against jock of milch and the thieves of annandale while were as sackless of the deed as i am of the sin of murder it was the better for jock said harriet for if i remember weel it saved him from a strapping up at dumfries which he had weel deserved for other misdeeds ay mon mind ye that said the king but he had other virtues for he was a tight huntsman moreover that jock of milch and could hollow to a hound till all the woods rang again but he came to an annandale end at the last for lord or wald ran his lance out through him cock snails man when i think of these wild passages in my conscience i am not sure but we live merrier in old holy Root in these shifting days than now when we are dwelling at heck and manger cantabit Wactuus. we had but little to care for and if your majesty pleased to remember said the goldsmith the awful task we had to gather silver vessels and gold work enough to make some show before the spanish ambassador vera true said the king now in a full tide of gossip and i mind not the name of the right leal lord that helped us with every and that his native prince might have some credit in the eyes of them that had the indies at their beck. i think if your majesty said the citizen will cast your eye on the paper in your hand you will recollect his name ay said the king say ye say mon lord glenvarloch that was his name indeed justice et tenax propositi a just man but as obstinate as a baited bull he stood whiles against us that lord Randall aliphant at Glenvarlach, but he was a loving and a leal subject in the main but this supplicator mon mon be his son Randall has been long gone where king and lord must go geordie as weel as the like of you and what does his son want with us the settlement answered the citizen of a large debt due by your majesty's treasury for money advances to your majesty in great stated emergency about the time of the raid of ruthven i mind the thing weel said king james odds death mon i was just out of the clutches of the master of glamis and his complices and there was never any siller mar, welcome to a born prince the mar, the shame and pity that crown king should need sic a petty sum but what need he done us for it mon like a baxter at the breaking we ought him the siller and will pay him with our convenience or make it otherwise up to him we'll ease enow between prince and subject we are not in man, to be arrested thus peremptorily alas and it please your majesty said the goldsmith shaking his head it is the poor young nobleman's extreme necessity and not his will that makes him importunate for he must have money and that briefly to discharge a debt due to peregrine Peterson, conservator of the privileges at campvere or his hale hereditary barony and estate of Glenbarlach will be evicted in virtue of an unredeemed wadset how say ye mon how say ye exclaimed the king impatiently the carle of a conservator the son of a low dutch skipper evict the auld estate and lordship of the house of oliphant god's bred man that mon not be we mon suspend the diligence by writ of favour or otherwise i doubt that may hardly be answered the citizen if it please your majesty your learned counsel in the law of scotland advised that there is no remade but in paying the money Ood's fish said the king let him keep hod by the strong hand against the karl until we can take some order about his affairs alas insisted the goldsmith if it like your majesty your own pacific government and your doing of equal justice to all men has made main force a kittle line to walk by unless just within the bounds of the highlands weel 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 mon said the perplexed monarch whose ideas of justice expediency, and convenience became on such occasions strangely embroiled just it is we should pay our debts that the young mon may pay his and we must be paid and in werbo regis he shall be paid but how to come by the siller mon is a difficult chapter ye mon try the city geordie to say the truth answered Harry please your gracious majesty what betwixt loans and benevolences and subsidies the city is at present donna tell me of what the city is said king james our exchequer is as dry as dean giles's discourses on the penitentiary psalms ex nihilo nihil fit it's ill taking the breeks off a wild highland man. they that come to me for shall tell me how to come by the city ye maun try harriet and dunna think to be called jingling geordie for nothing and in wherebo regis i will pay the lad if you get me the loan i uh, want it haggle on the terms and between you and me geordie we will redeem the brave all the state of Glenvarloch. but wherefore comes not the young lord to court harriet is he comely is he presentable in the presence no one can be more so said george harriet but ay I, I understand ye said his majesty i understand ye race augusta domi pure laud and his father a right true leal scot's heart though stiff in some opinions hark ye harriet let the lad have twa hundred pounds to fit him out and here here taking the carcanet of rubies from his old hat ye have had these in pledge before for a larger sum ye old levite that you are keep them engaged till i gie ye back the siller out of the next subsidy if it please your majesty to give me such directions in writing said the cautious citizen the deal is in your nicety george said the king ye are as precise as a puritan in form and a mere nullafidian in the marrow of the matter may not a king's word serve you for advancing your pitiful twa hundred pounds but not for detaining the crown jewels said george harriet and the king who from long experience was inured to dealing with suspicious creditors wrote an order upon george harriet his well-beloved goldsmith and jeweller for the sum of two hundred pounds to be paid presently to nigel oliphant lord of glenvarlach to be imputed as so much debts due him by the crown and authorizing the retention of a carcanet of bala rubies with a great diamond as described in a catalogue of his majesty's jewels to remain in possession of the said george harriet advancer of the said sum and so forth until he was lawfully contented and paid thereof by another rescript his majesty gave the said george harriet directions to deal with some of the moneyed men upon equitable terms for a sum of money for his majesty's present use not to be under fifty thousand mercs but as much more as could conveniently be procured and has he only lair this lord nigel of ours said the king george harriet could not exactly answer this question but believed the young lord had studied abroad he shall have our own advice said the king how to carry on his studies to maist advantage and it may be we will have him come to court and study with steenie and bobby charles and now we think on it away away george for the bairns will be coming hame presently and we would not as yet take end of this matter we have been treating anent propera pedum. Oh, geordie clap your mule between your huff and god den with you Thus ended the conference between the gentle king Jamie and his benevolent jeweller and goldsmith. End of section Three. This recording is in the public domain.